Well, good morning, everyone. How are you? I'm freaking those people out because I wasn't here right on time. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Toby. I'm one of the pastors here, and our pastor, Josiah, is taking some well-deserved rest. I would just encourage you, one of the greatest gifts that you can be uh, to this church family and to his family is to always pray when he's gone that the Lord would fill him up, fill him with the spirit, that he would get rest beyond what happens in the natural, that God would supernaturally refresh him, uh, and that he might come back excited and encouraged to, to bless you. Uh, I'm, I'm honored to wrap up this series, this five-week series on the book of James, one of my favorite books in the New Testament. You know, every significant breakthrough in my life, everyone, without exception, has come because of a change in my perspective. Let me say that again. Every significant breakthrough in my life has come not because of what someone else did, but because of what God did in my heart, my mind, and gave me a different way to see my world. I grew up convinced that my father did not want what was best for me. Uh, my teenage years, I was as hard a kid to raise as there's out there. I know that doesn't shock those of you who know me. Uh, but I was part of that was because I was convinced my dad did not want what was best for me. And nothing changed until I began to realize through some counseling that my, my father, like every father in this room that is breathing, including me, my father did the very best he could with what he had been given, and it wasn't enough. That's why we all need a Savior. And then everything began to change in my life. I, nothing began to change in my journey toward soul health, mental wellness, until I discovered that my target was pointed in the wrong direction, and that freedom that Jesus promised is not the absence of issues, but it's discovering how to connect to God's power in the middle of those issues. And then everything began to shift. Uh, I could go on and on, but I think the reason that I love James so much is James is inviting us into a perspective shift, but you'll never see the power of it until you understand that the brother of Jesus writes these words not to give you rules for living, but to tell you how living really works, how to get the life that you were created to get. You know, some of the best advice that I've ever received has come out of the book of James. James chapter 1, consider your pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because, you know, the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must what? Finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking in anything. James says, change the way you see your problems. God is working even when you don't see it. And he's doing something in you that could not be done if you didn't have that mountain to climb. I wish I would have understood earlier in my life, my marriage would have gone much better with the one sentence in the book of James that I think is the greatest message advice in the Bible. And what, some of you may think there's others that you don't have the mic. You can tell somebody when you have the mic. Here's what I say it is. 
be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Hey, young daddies, look at me. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. When you're condescending to your mate, when you break in on your child to prescribe three steps, oh, well, just don't do this and this and this, you break their spirit. You win the battle and you lose the war. And when you begin to understand in your perspective that relationships are about life, not about you winning. Everything changes. James chapter 2. James says that measure your faith by how you love people that are hard to love. We're about getting tested in November on that one, by the way. We are. This will be, we will see if the church passes the test that they failed four years ago. Boy, it got quiet. Because the test is how do we treat people that don't act like, talk like, see like, vote like us. You do not have to compromise your convictions to love people who hold different convictions than you. You clap for me, but James said it. I didn't. James chapter 3. He talks about the power of your tongue. and I thought Josiah did an unbelievably powerful job of helping us remember that of all the things we don't get to choose, we get to choose whether we speak life or whether we speak death. And I'm talking most of the time, it's about what we say to ourselves, not to someone else. That's the beginning of the trouble for us. And then in James chapter 4, James reminds us of this perspective shift that God is near and the devil has less power than most of, them get, most of us give him credit for. We tend to make the devil pretty big and it makes God pretty small. And he says, hey, draw near to God because he's already drawn near to you and resist the devil. He has no power over your life. And that perspective shift keeps us from playing scared all the time. So now we come to James chapter 5, his last chapter. Would it be a, a stretch for me to say that when you read a letter, when you have a conversation, that the last words you speak are some of the most important words? Is that that's true, right? Uh, I usually, in conversations that I'm in, in today's world, I was with a group of young pastors in Grand Rapids, Michigan this past week. It was 82 degrees, just pointing that out to you guys. And uh, rejoice with those who rejoice. That's what the Bible says. <laughs> and, and one of the guys said, well, what do you think the most important thing is about preaching God's word beyond knowing God's word? And I said, it's, oh, it's easy. It's the last thing you say. What are you calling people to do or to be? Land the airplane and ask for the sale. Well, I think what James is doing in James chapter 5, he's landing the airplane. He's asking for the sale. And it's interesting because these principles, these mind shifts, this 
being transformed by the renewing of your mind, seeing the world differently. They're simple concepts, aren't they? Simple does not mean shallow. Simple means simple. Jesus taught simply. Hey, boys, look, there's a bird, he said to his disciples. Have you ever thought about how a bird gets fed? Well, don't you think if God takes care of the birds, he's going to take care of you? Simple but profound. He begins James chapter 5 talking about the perils of success, especially financial success. He says that financial success, it tempts you into believing that you're smarter than you are and that you had something to do with it. And at some point, it makes you feel superior to those who haven't been as blessed as you have blessed. And so he says, be very careful because that will take you to places you never want to go. You'll actually begin, and that's what these guys were doing, to take advantage of those who have left because, less because you think you deserve it. And then he writes these words. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make, make the sick, sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So if this isn't prescriptive in nature, it's not. Here's a list of things to do. What is James saying? James is saying that the life that you are looking for cannot be found outside of connection to your creator first. Real connection and community with your creator. And once you find connection and community with your creator, it positions you to have life-giving connection to people around you. And you can't live without either one. I was reminded of Paul's words in Colossians chapter 3 when I read James chapter 5. When Paul says, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What James and Paul are telling you is, look at me, everybody. Your life will not work if you separate it into a work life, a home life, a recreational life, and your church life. It's a Jesus life in every part of it. And Jesus wants to be a part of all of it. Prayer is not a decision simply to go into a closet for a moment in time and talk to God. Prayer is an ongoing uh, conversation and cultivation of a relationship with the one that you love the most. And James is saying, hey, if you're, Sick, ask God to pray for you, uh, uh, pray to God. If you're doing well, thank God first. He's the reason you're doing well. He's saying you have that, that this moralistic view that so many of us in the buckle of the Bible belt have about 
keeping the rules and going to church, and that makes us Christians, doesn't bring life to any of us. It's one of the reasons that the church in America is shrinking at alarming rates because we are not inviting people to a life-giving, life-changing personal relationship with the person of Jesus Christ because that's where life is found. And we'll never find life outside of that any other kind of moral construct may make logical sense, but it ends, look, in you living in hell. Because there's not enough in you to fulfill that moral construct in your life. And he says, so you've got to regularly cultivate this ongoing relationship with the person of Jesus. You don't come meet him on Sunday. You bring him with you from your Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. You, everybody with me? You hearing me? So the question becomes like, how, how do you do it? How, how do you begin to, to build that kind of atmosphere for your life? And I know what some of you are thinking. There's bubbles over your heads. I know what you're thinking. I'm looking at some young moms here going, yeah, that, you talk about a quiet time. I can't have a quiet time. I got somebody, I can't even go to the bathroom by myself. How in the world am I going to study the Bible by myself? Or you don't understand how many demands there are on my life. Again, I'm not talking about a moment in time. I'm talking about a way that you live your life. That it begins before your feet ever hit the floor in the morning. And I'm going to show you practically, because you guys that know me know if it's not practical, I don't want to do it. If you can't walk out of this room with some tool in your hand to help you begin to do this, then what's the point other than a church cheerleading session? So I'm going to help you today. We're going to have a lab. Does that sound good to everybody? If I'm freaking you out, Sorry. But Todd, if you'll do, I want you to just bring up some music for us in the back. Now, you don't have to do this at home. Uh, I don't know where we ever got the idea. We had to close our eyes to pray. Like, he's everywhere. You don't have to close your eyes. But I want you to right now because I don't want anybody looking at anybody else. Okay, so we just close your eyes for a moment. And I'm just going to lead you through what I think is the best way for you to begin your day. So you don't have to say anything out loud. But in your, in your heart, in your spirit, say this. Good morning, Lord. Thanks for another day. If you slept good, tell them, thanks for helping me sleep good. If you're all like me, thanking that you might get to take a nap in the middle of the day because you didn't sleep good. Thank him for a couple of things. Now think of a couple of things you're worried about. 
hey, God, I'm, I'm worried about my aging mom. God, I'm, I'm worried about my daughter. My job. My finances. I'm worried if I'm going to make the, my grades. I'm worried if I'm going to make the team. I'm worried if she still loves me. Just tell him. Like, he's not going to go, oh, wow, I didn't know that. And then finish with this. Hey, God, I know you're with me all day today. Would you remind me a couple of times that I'm not alone? It's good to talk to you. Thank for Jesus. Amen. And you have begun your day recognizing he's with you. And you will get to the place where if his presence doesn't go with you, you don't want to go. And it will fill you with life. This is the invitation of James, the brother of Jesus, because James knew this is the invitation of Jesus for every one of us. It does not come naturally to many of us, but it gets cultivated over time in its power. And as you... Build this relationship, James says, with Jesus. You, like you don't turn into a weirdo. That's the whole thing, especially you men. Like everybody thinks, oh, if I become this sold out believer, I've got to like listen to KLTY and have a bumper sticker on my car. And you don't. God doesn't want to change your personality. He wants to transform your character. I don't know anybody that doesn't want more peace, doesn't want to live with more faith. Don't want to have more wisdom, right? So the enemy, you got a devil who starts telling you you got to be weird. And you do not have to be weird. Just be you, who may be weird without Jesus. <laughs> but now that we have begun to cultivate a relationship with Jesus, and we're investing some of who we are there, now it's time to invest in the other part of this. James says that if you're sick, ask the elders, leaders of the church, those who are called to prayer in a church, ask them to pray for you. Sing songs of praise. He knows that when God's people have gathered since the days of Jesus, after they sang a hymn, it says, at the Mount of Olives, they went out. Do you remember? So what he's saying is that this part of your life can only be cultivated alone, but you were designed to move past being alone and be in connection with other people. Well, how do you know? 
Because he says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. Your healing, your level of freedom is directly tied to your willingness to be vulnerable with somebody else about the things that you're challenged by. And those relationships don't just happen. Six months ago, I was uh, sitting at my desk and a friend in another state called and said, hey, I'm about to send you a text of a link. You may have already seen it. And I said, I didn't see anything today. And the Surgeon General of the uh, United States had sent out a report that said that based upon their research, that the number one threat to our physical health in America today is loneliness. Not cancer, uh, not diabetes, loneliness. This report said that the effects, the physical effects of loneliness equate to smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. I don't know where they got that research, but that's the research they gave. And then this dude, who I have read his, about him before, I get no indication of any belief in Jesus, which kind of encourages me because he said next, I am calling on local churches to help us address this problem. And I thought, well, Holy Spirit can talk to a non-believer, I guess, because that's the smartest thing you said. That the power of this isn't a gathering of a thousand people. The power is the resource of a thousand people being opportunities for you to connect with someone else. In a way, in a relationship that moves to the place where you believe that that person has proven that they have your success in life as a priority in their life. I always have said these friendships are friendships that when I walk away from confessing my sin, I don't wonder what they are thinking. And those don't get built in a moment, but they don't get built if we never get started in building those kind of relationships. You know, this past week was the first time that I was asked by a young pastor about speaking. But as I've gone over these last year or so and done so many of these gatherings of usually 12 to 16 pastors who are 31 to maybe 38, I know they're that age because they kid me about being old. I'm going to be 60 this year. That ain't old, man. Unless you're 31, 38, that, then it is old. Anybody think 60's not old? Come on, old people, help me out. That's like young, right? Look here. I'm just getting started, man. And they always ask me, we sit around this table every night at dinner. It happens at every one of these things. We've been out doing some activity, but they can't wait to get to the table. And listen, this is a fatherless generation of pastors in America right now. They don't have that spiritual dads. And uh, that's a whole nother message. It breaks my heart. But... They don't have spiritual dads and they're hungry. And they always ask me this one thing. What is the one thing looking back at your family and your ministry over the past 30 plus years, what is the most important thing? And you know what I tell them? 
I told them, hey, boys, I'm staring at 60 this year. And my greatest treasure are my relationships. That without relationships, I wouldn't have anything at all. My son is one of my best friends. I would rather hang out with my daughter than anyone on the planet other than my wife. If I was not in relationship with my kids, my life would not be nearly as deep and rich as it is. And there's about five people on this planet, only one that lives in my, in my area, but there's five people on this planet that would do move heaven and earth to make sure that I was walking in a way that honored the Lord and that brought success to my life. That's my greatest treasure on this planet. And what I hear some of you saying is that you don't have time to build those kind of relationships. And I'm telling you, if you've ever trusted me at all, you can't afford to not build and cultivate those relationships, whatever it takes. Because a day is coming, if it hasn't already come, where you're going to need someone else more than they need you. And so James says life is found in connection with him that leads to this kind of connection in life. And building a financial kingdom, a ministry kingdom, pick it, pick building something other than that is built on shifting sand if it takes the place of building these kind of relationships. And I just believe that the local church is still the hope of the world. Because I think in this room, there is the potential for us to encourage one another on to love and good deeds <laughs> and to build one another up. And this is what James is calling us to. Because this is where James says life is found. You know, he ends that section, though, and he's smart, man. James is smart. He can read people's minds. He, he ends this section, and he says that the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. And he knows, like I know, that if someone said to me, well, you know, the prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective, I would think they were talking about everybody but me. I mean, we, none of us, most of us, I don't think, would write in a description of our life. Give us 10 words that describes you. I'm not sure how many of you would put the word righteous. If you did, I might need to have you put prideful. Uh, and yes, I know Jesus makes us righteous. I understand theologically. But I think at first glance, people read this and say, well, I'm not a righteous person. So James goes on to say this. He says, now Elijah... He picks Elijah. Elijah was a man just like we are. 
he prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. And I'm sure you're thinking what some of them began to think, which was, well, yeah, but Elijah had enough power. He could stop the rain. But you know what happened right after Elijah stopped the rain? He made it stop raining and start raining to show who God was to an evil king and his evil queen wife named Jezebel. Don't name your kids Jezebel. Don't even name your dog Jezebel. You can name your cat Jezebel. That'd probably work. (laughs) I've made some of you mad, but it's worth the laugh. Uh, Really, it is. That's why I shut down my email account here at Cross Timbers. Uh, But the high of that victory of God's faithfulness to him in the rain Now Jezebel says, I'm going to take you out. And he begins to run in fear. I know this has never happened to any of us, but God had been incredibly faithful in a moment. And when the next shoe dropped, he forgot about God's faithfulness in the past. Instead of building on it for his present. I know that's not your problem. Sometimes it's mine. And he did the dumbest thing that we all do when we're facing that kind of emotional pressure. He told his Slave boy that was with him, you stay here. And he went off by himself. Isolation is not your friend, but it's what everybody wants. See, when you go off in isolation, that little voice gets louder and louder. He's in isolation and says, I'm going to sit under this broom tree and I'm going to die. Just take my life. I'm done. And God comes Sends an angel and does the most spiritual thing that God can do sometimes for us who are emotionally depleted. He brought him some food and told him to take a nap. Did go read it. Chapter 18, 2 Kings. He brought food and he said, you need to rest for a while. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. That's a whole other message. (laughs) This is the Elijah that James is speaking of. See, you think that God using you is based on your faithfulness, but God using you and answering your prayers is based on his faithfulness, not yours. It's based on his goodness, not yours. And the point that Elijah is making is that you have more power than you think you have, but your first response has got to be to pray. And when you pray and God moves, and God always moves. He doesn't always say yes to your prayer, but God always moves. When you pray and God moves, it doesn't just change a situation. It begins to change you, and it builds your faith. And I am longing for generations of dads that will start praying with their kids. Because we will change the next generation when our kids hear us pray for more than blessing the hands that made the food we're eating that night. But when the next generation begins to see a generation of fathers who are praying for their children and asking God to bring miracles into their life, we will change the world. And I think it ought to start right here on the first day of the week, every week. So today I've asked some of our prayer team and 
If you're there and you're going to be a part of this today, I want to ask you to just come on up. Let's everybody stand up for a moment. We're not leaving. You guys in the back hear me? We ain't leaving yet. Y'all hearing me? I'll get, they'll turn on those bulldozers out there. Everybody just hang on. I want to give you on a prayer team, come this way. Um, we, we have this big area in the front, and part of the reason we have this big area in the front uh, is because we want to have room for those of you who come. And we had hundreds come in the first service today to ask God to move in your life. For some of you, you, you need healing for physical stuff. Some of you need God to move in your financial life. Some of you need God to move in the area of emotional healing. You battle anxiety, depression. Some of you need your relationship with your kid to get better. Some of you have a kid that needs uh, physical healing. Whatever it is. I know some people in this room right now. Uh, that are battling things that in your flesh you think, well, that's, it's not that big a deal. It is to God. Bad backs, bad knees, bad ears. God wants to touch you today. And the only way we leave this place a little bit encouraged but no different is if we don't pray. Right? You go, I'm not even sure that works. Well, that's okay because the Bible says I can have faith for you. In a room like this, like my faith God sometimes heals you because of my faith that God's going to heal you. So there's enough faith in this room to heal you, trust me. The only thing that is going to guarantee that you do not get healed in any area of your life is if you don't come and ask somebody to pray for you. Now, let me tell you something cool that happened in the first service, John Boys. We had people just turn around praying for each other. Because these aren't special people. I mean, I love them, but they're not. They don't have like an like a open line that you don't have. So maybe for you, it's just tapping somebody in front of you or behind you. Hey, could you pray for me? And just let's pray. Let's see if God, why, why wouldn't we? Why in the world we come together? We ain't doing this, right? So I'm going to pray. The band's going to come, play quietly. And we're just going to take a few moments to pray. Just, I'm, just linger, linger. Sweet Maddie will let you know when it's time to go. She won't keep everybody forever. CD kids know we're doing it. It's all right. Let me pray and we'll begin. Father, I know you're here. I'm not asking you to come. You're already here. And I thank you for it. And uh, I just want to ask you to do some miracles right now. I know some people in this room that need them. And I don't think it's too hard for you. And I'm sorry. I don't ask for them more than I do. And so I would just pray, Holy Spirit, in this moment, believing that the name of Jesus is power. It's healing in life that we're going to speak Jesus, your name, over people. And I thank you in advance, Father, for what you're going to do for people today. Uh, and we just believe that you're the power and the glory in our lives. In Jesus' name, we pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Amen.